Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. So right now, I'd like to welcome everybody who is joining us online. Thank you so much. Put your hands together and welcome them. If you're ever in the area, we would love for you to come visit us one Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11 o'clock. But today we're starting a brand new series that's going to be within the book of James. We called it James, like the greatest hits. You know how, you know how, uh, you know, bands used to put together albums and they'd have all these songs, but then they would release the greatest hits. That's what I wanted to do with the book of James is, you know, it would take us forever to like walk through it verse by verse, but I wanted to just pick out some moments within the book of James that I find very powerful. I mean, the entire book's powerful. And I wanted to highlight them throughout this month. And I also would like to encourage you to read the book of James this month on your own time. And for many of you, you should be able to go through the book of James multiple times throughout the month. But take time to read it, take time to meditate on it. Uh, Our website, activationchurch.com, if you go to the Bible study portion of that website, we have a 16-week Bible study there with the student notes, the teacher notes, and a ton of information and content on the book of James. And that would be great for you to use during your reading time. And for those of you who want to do like a family altar time where you come together with your family, you can actually uh, do that uh, with them. And so it's got a place like for the students, got the blanks where you fill in the blanks. And so I would recommend that you be the teacher and use the teacher PDF. That way you sound smarter than everybody else, right? But I want you to understand as we move into the book of James, it was written by James, you know, because if you're going to write a book in the Bible, name it after yourself. You know, that's, that's the concept. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then John's like, I'm not going to stop with just John. I'm going to have 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Peter's like, well, I can get two of them. 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And then Paul's like, look, I'm going to write more than y'all, so I'm just going to write it to the people that I'm writing it to. But anyway, this is... A, this is <laughs> This is written by James, and he is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Why is he the half-brother? Because he had different dads. Jesus was born of Mary. He, she was impregnated, we know, by the Holy Spirit. His father is God. But, but James and Jesus, they shared an earthly dad and an earthly mom. And when I was thinking about this, like you can pull a lot of stuff over on other people. Like I can present myself to you one way and make you believe something that I'm not, but I can't pull anything past my brothers. Those that grew up with me know me. And so if Jesus is walking around acting like the sinless lamb of God, James is gonna have his ticket. You hear what I'm saying? He's gonna be like, I remember that night we were in the bunk bed. I remember that time we were, we were playing ball. I remember that time mom told you to do your homework and you didn't do it and you lied about it. I mean, if Jesus was a phony, James would have known about it. But what's so interesting to me about this is that James is so convinced that his brother Jesus is who he says that he is, that he's even willing to lay down his life for his convictions. And eventually he does. Eventually he is killed. They throw him off of a building And he survives that, and then they come and stone him to death because he claimed that his brother was the Messiah, the Savior 
of the world. And so when, I, when we read these stories throughout Scripture, we've got to realize that these people had a deep conviction of who Jesus was. And they were willing to lay down their life for the fact that they believed, not just believed, they knew. They saw him, they touched him, they lived with him, they heard him, they watched him suffer, they watched him bleed, they watched him die, and then they saw the risen, resurrected Savior walk the earth. And so today I want you to go to James, the first chapter. I'm gonna start in verse five and we're gonna deal with the subject of wisdom today. Wisdom, this is something that we all need. How many of you would say that your foolish moments in life have somewhat outweighed your wise moments in life? I would agree with that. I mean, for me, I was, I was talking to my wife, I was like, you know, I wanna share like a foolish story of something that I did that was really foolish with the, with the church. And then I thought, but I need to make sure it's something appropriate to tell the church. She said, I think you've told all those stories already. But James, the first chapter, verse five, chapter one, verse five, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. Somebody say to all. How many of you would consider yourself one of the all? He says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously. He doesn't hold back. He gives you as much as he's got. He gives it all, he gives it generously without reproach. That means without disapproval. So when you ask God for wisdom, he's not up in heaven going, oh, come on, Sean. Really? Wisdom, that's what you need today? No, he gives without reproach and it will be given to him. How many of you can honestly say in here by a showing of hands that you could use a little more wisdom? We need wisdom to live this life, amen? I mean, in a, full, in a world full of so much dumb stuff happening right now, we need some people with wisdom. We need to enter marriage and relationships with wisdom. We need to handle our life and our finances with wisdom. For those of you who are parents, we need to parent with wisdom. For those of you who are grandparents, you need to be grandparents with wisdom. For those of you who are leaders and business leaders, you need to run those businesses with wisdom. And the Bible says that it is good to desire wisdom. The Bible says in Proverbs the eighth chapter, verse 11, for wisdom, now get this, for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is better than anything else you can gain because it doesn't matter what you get if you don't have the wisdom on how to deal with it, you'll lose it. There are people who pray and desire for a relationship, but they don't have the wisdom it takes to maintain a relationship. There are people that are popping out babies that have no wisdom on what it takes to raise that baby in a way that would honor God. So having stuff without wisdom is useless. Am I right? And so the Bible says, instead of desiring stuff, you should desire wisdom. And if you can gain wisdom, stuff will follow you. 
If you can take hold of wisdom, then good things will enter your life and be able to remain in your life. Wisdom is important. For those of you who are younger in here, you need to understand the importance of wisdom and making right decisions. Because wrong decisions will bring consequences into your life that you will have to deal with for years and years and years to come. Am I right? How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, and maybe some of you watching online can testify to this, but there are decisions that you made when you were very young that you are still dealing with the consequence of that decision today. I wish that I could go back in my life and change some of those moments. I wish that I could, have go, I could go back in life and some of the things my dad said, hey son, you need to watch out for this one. I wish I could go back and go, okay dad. But I can't and so now I live with all of these decisions that I've made by making foolish choices. So the most important thing that you can grasp hold of in this life, the most valuable thing you can grasp hold of is wisdom. When, when God comes to King Solomon, he says, now get this, he says, I'm gonna give you anything you want. I'm paraphrasing. But God says, Solomon, I'm gonna give you anything you want. All you have to do is ask. Now, how many of you, if God showed up to you today and said, Kudwa, I'm going to give you anything that you want. How many of you, you got a list of stuff that you want? And he could have asked for anything. I mean, King Solomon could have asked for a Ferrari. And you'd be like, that's ridiculous. There weren't Ferraris. Well, if he could have imagined it and asked for it, God would have shown, shown up and given him a Ferrari. Solomon would have been riding dirty. <laughs> I mean, he could have asked for anything. He could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for a great army. He could have asked to be the greatest king that ever lived. He could have asked that all of his enemies would just fall and melt. Like, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, when the ark opens up and people start melting. King Solomon could have been like, God, I want your presence to be so strong on me that it melts the face of of my enemy. He could have asked for anything. And you know what he does? He says, God, I want wisdom. And he asked from a pure heart, which really uh, is interesting to me because he didn't ask for wisdom so that he could get stuff. He didn't say, God, I want wisdom so I'll be a better businessman. I don't, I, God, I, I'm not asking for wisdom so I'll make better investments. I mean, all that stuff's great. But he says, God, I want wisdom so that I can lead your people well. And he asked from a pure heart and God says, you know what? I'm gonna give it to you. And God made him the wisest man to walk the earth to that point in time. Think about that. Because his desire was for wisdom. If you are a Christian, this is what's so cool about it to me. If you are a Christian, the source of wisdom lives inside of you. And all you have to do is ask. When you're in a place that you don't understand, all you have to do is ask. And not only do we have the ability to to come before God and ask him for wisdom, but he was good enough to give us a book full of 
his wisdom. And when you get inside of his word, it begins to feed you. It begins to train you. It begins to renew you. It begins to transform you. And where you used to be foolish, God begins to make you wise. The Bible says that his word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. What does that mean? When I begin to get his word inside of me, I begin to see things differently. Where I used to walk in darkness, now I'm walking in light because I've received his truth and his truth has set me free from bondage. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So this is so valuable, so important, and yet so many of us, we don't take time to get into the word, but it's a lamp to our feet of light, to my path. God, what is your mind on this matter? Sometimes we're asking God questions that he's already answered. I mean, it'd be, this, is, this is gonna take it to the extreme, but God, should I murder my enemy? Don't pray that. Get into the word and see where he says, don't murder. I mean, that, I mean that's like a far-fetched example, but so many times we're praying and asking God for an answer that he's already released to us in his word and he's waiting for us to find it, take hold of it, have a revelation of it and start walking in it. So his word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I love this verse right here because I identify with it. Psalm 19.7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. So God can take those who are simple-minded, uneducated, and he can give them wisdom that will outperform the most educated person in this world. And you've got to know this, that wisdom and education are two different things. There's a lot of educated people that are foolish. There are a lot of people with PhDs teaching college courses that have zero wisdom. So wisdom has nothing to do with your natural intellect or how much you have studied. Wisdom is a supernatural thing gained from the source, which is God, our creator, who himself is wisdom. And he releases it to us generously. When I was in my uh, late teens to early 20s, I read a book on the life of King Solomon that just really captivated me. And it really made me hunger for the wisdom of God. And so it was at that time that I started diving into the book of Proverbs. I started reading the book of Proverbs. Uh, we had a, I think it was a Tuesday morning prayer time that we would get together. And at that Tuesday morning prayer time, all of the guys that were a part of that, we were reading Proverbs and then we would get, we would discuss the book of Proverbs, like what they got from it. And it was through that time that, that it really shaped my life, getting the wisdom of God from the wisdom that he's placed in his word. It really began to change the way that I think, act, live, move, speak. All these things began to shift and change because wisdom started pouring into me. And so I thought it'd be fun today as we're getting into the series, which will probably have some pretty heavy weeks, I thought it'd be fun to pull some different Proverbs from a wisdom book in the Bible and share them with you uh, today. And the first point is this, if you're taking notes, wisdom counts the cost. Wisdom counts 
the cost. In other words, know what you're getting yourself into before you get yourself into it. That will help you. That will save you a lot of heartache, time, and money. Jesus says no one with wisdom builds a building without first counting the cost. Because what if you get into the process, you lay the foundation, and you realize I don't have enough money to finish the project. Understand what you're about to get yourself into, count the cost, and realize whether it's a task that you are capable of. Here's the proverb. I love this one. Proverbs 14.4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. That means if you don't have an ox, you won't have to deal with any poop. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Are you following that? So if you got the ox, you're going to have some mess. But without the mess, you'll have no crops. So you got to weigh out. Is the crop worth the mess? Years ago, we, were, we had a youth ministry in my father's church that on weekly average, there were several hundred teenagers that would come out. There were nights, <clears throat> some nights we would have a thousand teenagers on a Monday night. And let me promise you, when you get a thousand teenagers together, you have created a very large mess. How many of you in here have ever worked with young people? So you can understand, I mean, we had all kinds of stuff going on from, from drug deals to, I mean, you name it, it was happening there. And the church people started complaining to my dad. And most pastors would have shut it down because of the problems it was creating. But my father drew our attention to this verse. And he said, if you want to have an ox, you're going to have some mess. But the mess is worth it because people are getting saved. Or hear what I'm saying. So in that case, in that sense, the mess was worth the ox. It was better to have the ox and be able to have the crop than to just do away with it. And so many churches will do away with things because they don't want to deal with the mess. But the truth is, church is messy business because we're dealing with people and we are messy people. None of us are the savior of the world. None of us are so sanctified that we are perfect. So there may be times that I will offend you. There may be times that you will offend me. And we got to get over it and realize the ox is worth the mess. I can't get so caught up in, 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 in these petty poo-poos, let's put it that way, these, these petty manures that are happening everywhere that I abandon the fruit or the goodness of what God has given me. You know, the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is great. It's from God. It's ordained by God. But those of you who have experienced it will, will honestly say, you don't raise your hand, especially if you're sitting next to your spouse. That good thing comes with some mess. Did you say yeah? Oh, because your husband's not here. I thought Kelly said that. I was like, Kelly, he's right here. 
She thought it. Sean's so close to God, though. So close. That yellow toboggan is just, you're close to God. It's, it's, it's the color of royalty. It's like, it's like his, crown, his earthly crown. One day you will exchange it for a far better. No, but, but think about, I mean, marriage is a blessing when it's done right, when it's done the way God ordained it to be, but it still comes with some mess. And sometimes we add to the mess because we're not using godly wisdom within the marriage. Having kids, it's a blessing from God, but it comes with some mess. Am I right? For those of you who ever owned a business, you understand that owning a business can be wonderful, but it comes with some mess. And the amount of mess, this is important, hear this. The amount of mess that you are willing to deal with will determine how high you can go in life. People that get paid big bucks in companies are getting paid because of their level of mess they can handle. There are people who never excel within business because they're not willing to put up with the mess. There are pastors who never excel in the work of God because they are not willing to put up with the mess. The mess is too heavy. The mess has too much pressure. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the mess is what's bringing the fruit. So you've got to decide, is the ox worth the mess? And only you can decide for you. And if that particular ox is not worth the mess, then you need to reconsider getting yourself into it because it will have mess. And everything in life will have some form of mess. And so what you need to begin to ask yourself is this, and my dad always taught us this. Does this benefit me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or financially? What's the benefit of what I'm about to get into? That's how he trained us to think. What's the benefit? Is it gonna benefit you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or financially? Because you need to count the cost of what you're about to take hold of. And as I thought about that this morning, I wanted to add something to it. Because it's not just, is this going to benefit me? But the, the real question is this, and this is important. When it benefits a certain area of my life, it can't be at the expense of something else. I never really thought about that until today. In other words, there are things that may benefit me physically or feel good to my natural body, but it could be at the expense of my emotional well-being. We have some younger people in here today, so I'll kind of halt on where I'm going with that. But there are things that we get into and we say, well, it feels good, but yet it's debiting another account in your life. There are certain substances that we take and we go, well, this is emotionally beneficial to me. It helps me deal with life's issues. It really helps me cope with the mess. But just because it's benefiting you emotionally, what is it doing to you physically? What is it doing to you emotionally with your relationships? What is it doing to you financially? So really, 
the best thing is that it benefits all these areas of my life or at least doesn't take away from one of those areas. Younger people, you really should get a hold of this. You really should capture what I'm saying this morning. You need to know what you're getting yourself into before you get yourself into it. And you need to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, the thing about addiction is it doesn't start out as an addiction. It starts out as something that you do for enjoyment, pleasure. I'm with my friends. This is what we're doing. But you give it time and it gets a hook in you. And now you've got something that you've got to deal with for the remainder of your life. And you either have to be strong enough to cut that off or it's going to cut you off. But you could have saved yourself years of pain, years of trouble, years of relationship issues, years of struggling if you would have just made a wise decision up front. Wisdom is more valuable than any kind of jewel or gold or substance or stuff. Wisdom will lead you into life. Wisdom will help you stand when the storms of life come raging and the storms of life will rage around you. The second point that I wrote down is this, wisdom has big ears and a filtered tongue. Think about that. Wisdom has big ears and a filtered tongue. Open your mouth and I'll know what you're made of. Here's my proverb. This is one of my favorites. I decided to deal with wisdom today just so I could share this proverb. <laughs> I love this one. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So let's just first break that down a little bit because it's going to be beneficial as we move on. Whoever restrains his words. So I, I'm going to hold back what I'm saying. That person has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding, meaning I don't need to be hot-tempered. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. <laughs> How many of you, like, don't raise your hand because maybe you're sitting next to them, but you met someone, you thought, man, they're completely normal. Then they opened your mouth. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was at lunch the other day with Randy. And, <laughs> and when he opened his mouth, I was like, oh, my God. No. When we walked in, we saw a pastor that we, we don't really know him, but we know of him. We've met. We know he's a pastor. And he's obviously meeting with someone who's tied into his church. And the whole time we were there, we were sitting kind of diagonal from him. And I said to Randy, I said, the person who's sitting with him has not shut up the entire time. 
I mean, obviously she, this person is meeting with their pastor <laughs> so that they can get some kind of advice, but they're so busy speaking that they can't hear anything. Wisdom has, <laughs> wisdom has the edit button in the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Wisdom, <laughs> wisdom has big ears and a filtered tongue. Wisdom will teach us when to speak and when to keep silent. You can avoid yourself a lot of trouble in life by knowing when to keep this closed. I'm trying to teach my kids this right now, especially my oldest daughter, Stella. She gets herself into so much trouble because she doesn't know when to stop this. And I try to tell her, I'm like, Stella, listen, you're on thin ice right now. Like you're pushing mom's button. And if you don't stop, here's what she's gonna do. And Stella just still can't stop. And then when she gets punished, she acts like, what'd I do? You're so rude. And she continues to pile up. You know what I'm saying? And so yesterday we were in the car and she was saying something. I said, Stella, I want you to think about what you're gonna say 10 times before you say it. That's something my great-grandfather used to say, always think 10 times before you speak. So I want you to think 10 times before you say it, think 10 times. Is this beneficial? Is it rude? Is it gonna build up? Is it gonna tear down? Is it respectful or is it disrespectful? Like really mull it over before you release it. Because words have consequences. I remember when I was in middle school, I ran my mouth about this guy. I didn't even know him, but I ran my mouth about him. I didn't realize how much bigger he was than me. And the next thing I know, I'm walking through the hall and he comes and grabs me and pins me up against the locker. And I thought, should have kept my mouth shut. I could have saved myself that trouble by just keeping my mouth closed. Wisdom has big ears and a filtered mouth. It's not that you don't speak, it's that when you speak, you say something that really matters. On Sundays at lunch with my grandfather, they had the big table and the whole family would sit around and they would, they would joke and they would laugh and they would talk about all kinds of stuff. And he would just sit there and he would make this noise with his teeth. He'd go, and he would just sit there and he'd look at his children, his grandkids, and he'd just smile. And he didn't say much. But when he opened his mouth, everybody listened because they knew they were gonna hear something important. And I've learned a lot in my life by sitting with people who have accomplished what I want to accomplish. And you know what I do? I listen. I don't try to show them how smart I am with my words, I listen. The Bible says in James, the first chapter, verse 19, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, big ears, slow to speak, filtered mouth, and slow to anger, cool temper. So anger is dangerous because anger will cause you to do things and say things that you would not have otherwise done. And we need to learn, because we're all going to have moments of anger, we need to learn not to do or make important decisions while we are angry. 
We need to do whatever it takes to cool down and then address the issue. When you're correcting your kids, you need to make sure that you take time to calm down because if you'll calm down, you can open their ears and their heart and speak to them from a place of love. But if you act out in anger, you can damage the relationship. Same thing with marriage. So many times we damage the relationship because we're speaking out of anger. It's not that what is being said doesn't need to be said. It just doesn't need to be said with that tone or in that moment or in that time. So we need to really start to think through what we're saying and what's going to happen. I don't know if this is just like a weird thing that happens for me or not. I don't know if it's a gift from God or if everybody does this. I don't know because I've never asked if anyone else does this. But I will be in a setting with people and something will come to my mind and I'm about to say it. And I stop and I think, okay, if I say this, it could bring up this, which would lead to this, which would bring up this, which would lead to this, which would bring up this, and then it's end up with this person saying this. And my wife's gonna go, you did what? <laughs> Are you, you, does that make sense? So I trace like all the possible outcomes of what could happen just by me saying that one thing that had nothing to do with this over here. But just by saying it, it could lead to that. And I go, you know what? It's not that important for me to say it right now. So we want to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Wisdom has a big ears, and when it speaks, it says something worth listening to. Wisdom is quick to listen to correction and instruction. A foolish person is quick to dismiss it. You can, you can see and determine the difference between a wise man and a foolish man by how they handle correction and instruction. There are some people when they're corrected, they fly off the handle. I've seen it happen within churches. Like there are people who will praise the pastor. He's the best, he's got the word of God. He is God's man for this moment in time. But as soon as they are corrected by that pastor, then that pastor becomes the enemy. Doesn't know what he's talking about. That person starts causing discord. But wisdom, a wise man, will listen to the cor correction, will listen to the instruction, will, will meditate on it, will think about it. How can that help me? How can that benefit me? Am I seeing things wrong? Am I coming from a wrong perspective? Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you are always right and never wrong, you might be a fool. If you're always talking and never listening, you might be a fool. If you always have to have things your way and are never flexible to go anyone else's way, you might be a fool. Remember the old redneck jokes? You might be a redneck. Well, guess what? You might be a fool. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A fool thinks they're always right, but a wise man will listen to advice, godly advice. 
That's the difference between King Saul and King David. Both of them had their issues. Both of them had their problems. Both of them had their struggles. Both of them sinned. Both of them displeased God with their actions. But when Saul was corrected by the man of God, Saul rejected his correction. Saul tried to twist things around and be like, hey man, just, just bless me in front of the people. Let's make things, all. and he, he wanted to, to cover it all up. He would not receive the correction because that God said, I'm cutting you off. I can't do anything with you. I can't raise you up to be the king that Israel needs because you'll never allow correction to enter your life. You'll never listen to advice or instruction. You're a fool. So what does God do? He cuts him off and says, I'll find a man after God's own heart. He's talking about David. But David wasn't a perfect man. David messed up. You know the story of David and Bathsheba. If you don't, go and read it. I mean, he sleeps with another man's wife. Then he tries to cover it up. When he can't cover it up, he kills the dude. That's pretty jacked up. But when the man of God comes to him and says, you messed up, David hits his knees and starts saying, God, forgive me. Create and renew a right spirit within me. Don't take your presence from me. David received the correction and the advice and the instruction and it rooted himself in repentance. That's wisdom. And God says, I can deal with that. See, we're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna fail. We're all gonna have problems in our life. But God says, I can work with the person who's willing to identify their problem. I can work with the person who's willing to repent for the issue. But if you're hard-hearted and you're stiff-necked and you're gonna continue in your ways, eventually you're gonna be cut off. Every man that thinks they're right in their own eyes is foolish. But that path will always lead to destruction. I've seen it happen so many times in my life where people received advice from someone that they would not listen to. And it has destroyed their life. It has destroyed their marriage. It has destroyed their children because they would not listen to sound advice. They would ask for it, but they wouldn't listen to it. Not all advice is godly advice. So when I'm talking about listening to advice, we need to make sure it's coming from a godly source. The Bible says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So not all advice or wisdom is weighed evenly. Some people will give you wisdom that sounds like good advice, but it's corrupted wisdom. I could give you an example of that. Um, and I will. <laughs> Somebody told me years ago, they were talking about cheating on their spouse. And they said, don't, I'm going to give you the PG version, don't poop next to your TP. Meaning when you cheat on your spouse, go out and find someone who's not connected to the tribe because you can get away with it. That's really good advice if you want to cheat on your wife and not get caught. But that's not God the counsel. That's corrupted wisdom. 
So when I, when I get advice, I need to weigh it with the word of God. Does this line up with God's word? Does this honor God's word? Does my view on things line up with what God is saying? So when I make decisions, I need to make sure that it's lining up with God's word. Amen? Amen. And the final thing I'll say to you is this. The Bible says, the foolish man says in his heart, there is no God. With their lips, they may claim something. They may claim to know God. They may claim that there is a God. But within their heart, they're saying there is no God. And you can see it in the fruit of their actions. And true wisdom is this. And if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, who was written, which was written by Solomon, he goes through all this stuff and he ends the book of Ecclesiastes with this. Fear God and keep his commandments. He's saying after everything that I've been through, everything that I've experienced, everything that I thought was right, everything that I've enjoyed in life, what it all boils down to this is fear God and keep his commandments. And I thought that's true wisdom. True wisdom is not what I can gain in this earth. True wisdom is not just being successful because ungodly people can be successful. Ungodly people can be rich. Ungodly people can have a good marriage. That's not where it's at. True wisdom is found in those who fear God and keep his commandments. What does that mean? I'm going after God. I'm pursuing God. I want to know God. That's what touched me so much about my great-grandfather's funeral service when I was listening to them talk about him, they said he decided he was going to be a man who knew his God. And everything that he did was determined by that one thing. I want to know my God. And I'm not going to participate in anything that doesn't add to my pursuit. And if anything tries to pull away from that pursuit of knowing God and keeping his commandments, I'll cut it off. And because of that, he walked before the Lord. And he had a fruitful, productive life. He wasn't a wealthy man by no means, but God provided for him. During the time of the Great Depression, when the government was giving financial assistance, he told his family, he said, we will not receive assistance from the government. He said, we will trust our God. And his son telling that story at that funeral service said, we never went hungry. See, it's, there's something about knowing this God we talk about. Not knowing about him, actually knowing him. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. You know why he did it? so that you could have a relationship with him so that he could know you and you could know him. That's my desire for my life. That's my desire for your life. If you never get anything from this church, I hope you get this one thing, that we are passionate about seeing people activate their life in Christ. What does that mean? Knowing God and his plan and purpose and destiny for their life. I wanna pray for everyone who's watching right now 
Father, I ask that you would move in their heart and their life. I ask that you would touch them. God, I ask today that you would meet them at the point of their need. Whatever it may be, God, meet them right now in that place and touch them in a mighty and a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.